Hello, Monster Baiters. Thank you for continuing to listen, and please keep the reviews rolling in. It takes very little time, and it will help us continue to grow. All right, enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Monster Porn, weird fiction and horror podcast. The podcast that goes bump in the night. And if I've remembered to take my horny goatweed supplement, maybe twice. This week's episode is The Time Eater by Brett Norwood. feel like it's all hopeless? Like you'll never achieve even your most modest and primitive aims in life? Like, despite all of your knowledge of occult tomes, and despite all of your daily sacrifices to gods with lots of valor consonants in their names, you'll never succeed in piercing the veil of reality and entering the apotheosis of godhood. Every day, man. Every day. You're not listening, are you? Oh, what? Sorry, I was on ESPN.com trying to catch up with the games from last night. What's up? Isn't it cruel how nature infuses us with desires, often simple, honest desires, and yet frustrates them at every turn? You seem a little down, man. Isn't it terrible that... Work never seems to pay off, yet we continue to labor in vain because we continue to feel and to feel attachment toward our aims. Despite all my rage, I am still just a dribble on a treadmill. And the treadmill goes and goes, but goes nowhere until the grave. If your work doesn't pay off, you're doing it wrong. Uh, What if I'm right and the universe is wrong? The Demiurge who made it is not a perfect being. Dude, you've got the entirely wrong spirit about this. Which spirit is that? Say his name. No, I, I mean, you can't change what you're given to work with, only your attitude. And if you look at things with more positivity, you're going to get more positivity in return. But the universe is an uncaring, soulless array of particulate matter that cares not for the positivity of man full of threatening and immense entities we can't even begin to understand. What, like Puggles? No, we can understand him. It's just better if we don't. You rang? Damn it, Matt, you said his name. I still prefer the Desolator of Aboth Ganath. What's the problem here? Ah, Brett's being a little bitch. Of course. I must say that whenever I walk into a room where he's at, the atmosphere is like peeling back the layers of a cuck like an onion. It's like incelception in here. Mm. Yeah, he says that it's all hopeless and that the universe is uncaring and antipathetic to the aims of human beings and all that. 
big words from the backward hat guy, huh? Well, duh. Is that news? I should know. I'm one of the ancient ones. Yeah, but you should keep fighting and persevering in the face of adversity, right? Well, I'm a vast and powerful cosmic entity capable of desolating worlds! But if I were you, no. No, I'd just give up. Oh. On a Tuesday afternoon, while the rest of the world works, a man is moving into his new apartment, bearing a drafting table in his arms like an oversized baby, and trying to get away with not taking off the reference drawings he has taped with painter's tape to the surface for the sake of transporting it. Now these pictures flap in the light breeze as he hops up the steps. The Copic markers, which he also decided not to remove, stick out of a foam insert, like quills off the back of a rainbow porcupine. He's torn between thinking about the new era in his life and the new possibilities portended by this new place, and the pangs of nostalgia that always come up on seeing one's old apartment denuded of the trappings of his life there. He perceived now that if he was carrying his drafting table in, it was real. His life was no longer there but here. Because this, his drafting table, was his heart. He was, accordingly, not perfectly comfortable burying this heart, with its flapping drawings of oddities and cartoon animals, publicly through the street under daylight. It felt a little like crossing the street in one's embarrassingly unfashionable boxers. Were his new neighbors examining him even now from the dark, shade-drawn windows of their high apartments, and seeing this, and passing judgment on the man-child cartoonist? As he, Lawton Wilde, raised his bushy head going up the creaking steps, he saw in horror that the door was being held, and worse, by a young woman for whose approval he was not prepared to defend the contents of his drawing board. She smiled quickly and looked down, seemingly uninterested in the load he bore. Later, Lawton would realize that she was an anachronism. It had been a decade by now since he had seen a college-aged girl who gave a legitimate goth or emo vibe. She was small and very slight, almost ghostly, dressed largely in black save for a gray and magenta-striped top. But her most notable feature was the long hair dyed red-orange. Oh, thank you, Lawton said, seeing her. She worked herself aside to allow the desk to pass her, and only glanced at him once more before resting her eyes back on the floor. Setting down the table in front of his door, he had the fortune of getting a unit on the first floor. He turned slowly, giving himself a pep talk to introduce himself, but she was already gone. So he unlocked his whiny door and lugged in his load, knocking his heart against every jam and corner as he crossed the flat to set the drafting table by the front window, in the flood of the morning sun. He set the legs right and stood back to look over the reference drugs taped to the surface, to judge for himself the impression of his life this colorful array of eccentricity would give to a stranger. What caught his eye was the Calvin and Hobbes strip he had taped to the top of the drafting table as a totem of his inspiration. 
It was one of the Sunday strips where Calvin and Hobbes are riding down a hill in the woods in his red wagon, and waxing philosophical, as meanwhile they attain comically dangerous velocity, catch air, and risk diving off a mortal cliff. The strip was there because, in addition to representing the level of visual artistry for which he strove, it stood for everything about Lawton's realization of his destiny. It's like you're in a little red wagon, he'd thought. A kid riding down the hill powered by gravity. Before long, the ride's over, either because you hit the bottom or you wrecked halfway. And you can't turn around once you're moving, and you can't slow down. It just speeds up until you attain max velocity. And then, bam, you meet flat ground and grind to a halt. All you can do is make it a fulfilling ride, I guess. Because you can meet the end either in disappointment or in thinking, God damn it, that was a great ride. I feel like there are a lot of people out there who never have a sense of what they want to do with their ride, he thought to himself. I had that a bit. I think that all people, especially young people, do. But actually, that's not the case for me anymore. And it feels great to not have that problem anymore. It took the first 30-ish years of my life to recognize what was obvious right in front of me, to view the thing that I had been doing since elementary school simply by nature as something legitimate. I had a destiny. (laughs) It was drawing cartoon animals as a grown-ass man. Lawton's focus diffused from the Calvin and Hobbes strip to cover the rest of the board, and that's when he noticed the empty space in the upper left-hand corner that should not have been empty. He rushed past the desk to look out the window with his nose practically pressed up against the glass, but the escaped paper was not in the street that he could see. He was about to rush outside to search when there came a knock at the door. The squealing old door revealed the same young woman. Sheepishly, she clutched the errant drawing, the master character model for Lawton's lead cartoon character, a milk cow laying out in a pinup girl pose with udders for days, and if this was not enough, squid-like tentacles in place of hind legs. Uh, hi, the woman said. Hi, Lawton returned. I think you lost this, she said. Lawton took it from her and held it in front of him such that the art was facing away from her. Thank you very much, he said. Are you, um, my new neighbor? I'm Lawton. I'm Rory, she said. Good to meet you. It was painfully clear that she was afraid to meet his eyes. Oh, God, Lawton thought. She thinks I'm so weird now she doesn't even want to look at me. Good to meet you, Rory, he said. Yeah, she said, and she started to turn to leave. Oh, man, he thought. She can't wait to get away from my door. As Rory put her foot on the stairs, Lawton said after her, Thanks again. Rory looked back and said, By the way, I think your drawing is really cool. Lawton shut the door and leaned up against it, smiling. After about a minute, he remembered that his car was still full of his belongings that needed to come in. And after that, he still had half an apartment full of stuff to move before the end of the day. Lawton got moved in that week, and several days later, it came time to do laundry. On his first trip down to the basement laundry room, he passed a door at the bottom of the stairs numbered zero. Is there really an apartment in the basement? He wondered. It looks sketchy as hell. Well, the meth dealers need their place in every neighborhood, he thought. Near the door, he could hear two men talking within and video game sound effects. 
Ah, perfect for a couple college stoners, he thought. And he continued on to the washing machines. He saw that one of the machines was spinning. Women's clothes. Oh, please be Rory, he thought, hoping for the chance to talk to her again. But then, five minutes later, when he heard steps coming down the stairs, he thought, Please don't be Rory. Please don't be Rory. I'm wearing pajamas for God's sake. I'm not prepared for this. He braced himself as someone came around the corner. With a flash of fox-orange hair, he knew it was indeed her. She said nothing. Cautiously, he stole a glance. Hi, he said. Oh, hi, she said back, as if she hadn't noticed the six-foot man in pajamas in the middle of the otherwise empty room. He was a little offended by this. After a few seconds of silence, she spoke up again. Nice PJs. He laughed and said, Thanks. It's laundry day, what can I say? So, what do you do? She wondered, glancing over from her open washer. Oh, uh, he stalled. Here was the hard part. The question he always dreaded a little bit. I'm a cartoonist, he said. No shit, she said, and then, Oh, sorry, pardon my mouth. He laughed and told her it was all right. That drawing from the other day, is that your own character then? Yeah, I do a webcomic. What's... what's your webcomic about? My webcomic is about Cowthulhu, a bovine abomination working the lactation gig at Lovecraft Foods Dairy Farm. This is where blue cheese comes from. The cows are fed a steady diet of hormones and animal rights protesters. That sounds awesome. Really? Thanks. How's it going, your webcomic? How's it going? It's growing slowly but steadily. I'm up to about 150 followers on Instagram and 300 on Twitter. Better than the big gaping zero from three months ago. Cool. And what do you do? Oh, uh, she said, and now it seemed it was her turn to stall. I'm kind of between jobs right now, she explained. I was working in the county treasurer's office, but now I'm looking for something else. Best of luck with that, Lawton told her. Yeah, thanks. Now Lawton was at the laundry room door with his empty hamper, halfway leaving and all the way looking for another excuse to stay. Well, he said, I gotta go back topside. Good to see you. Okay, bye, she said brightly. And Lawton began his climb back up the stairs, kicking himself for saying good to see you, which did not seem appropriate for someone who was basically a stranger. On the other hand, while kicking himself for not trying to draw out the conversation. Later, on his way back down to transfer over to the dryer, that door numbered zero popped open right as he reached the foot of the stairs, and a hirsute Asian man stumbled out in front of him. Oh, sorry, man. Pardon me. He looked like a samurai might after degenerating for two decades on the sauce. Long black hair, wild beard, big arms and a bit of a belly. He wore a plain t-shirt and jogging pants. What day is it? He said gruffly. Uh, Tuesday? No, like, which? Which Tuesday? The fifth, Lawton answered. When he received a stare, he added, of September. The man locked his door and prepared to pass Lawton, but he stopped and said, Say, you're the new Unit 1, aren't you? You got it, Lawton said and he introduced himself. Steve, said the debauched Yojimbo. You, uh, go to the college, man? No, I, uh, haven't been in college for a decade now. Oh, my mistake, bro, 
You don't look that old. Mm, I know. The baby face. You do, then? Yeah, dude. What are you studying? I'm not quite sure. You're not sure? I'm not sure. Okay, like you're undeclared? Something like that. Hey, man, this is a long shot, but are you in the market for something to pass the time? So they are drug dealers, Lawton thought. I had believed I was joking. What, uh, what do you mean? Are you into chronophagy? I don't know what that is. Oh, man, it's like this thing that was big in Japan. It's like VR, but called subtractive reality. It's like this virtual pet thing, but VR, so it's like it's right there in the apartment with you. It's pretty... uh, cool. It was like Steve had to struggle for the word cool. I've got this old Coronafeju headset I need to get rid of. Oh, I don't really have the spare cash to pick up a new game system, dude, Lawton told him. Hey, that's alright, said Steve. Like I said, it's an old unit. I'm taking garage sale prices here, five bucks. Can I see it? Yeah, man. Steve's keys rattled as he unlocked his door and let Lawton in. It was dark in there. They had the basement windows blacked out with cardboard except for the one that was plugged up with the swamp cooler. A single shaded lamp gave the room a dull yellow glow. There was a futon without a frame propped up against the wall as a couch, and a lofted bed over it, both across from a 42-inch television of newer model year. A catawampus stack of books cried out for the supportive embrace of a bookcase on the floor beside the futon. Steve picked up a thing from beside the books. It looked like pieces of an ancient Super Nintendo tethered together on a nylon belt. That's it, Lawton said. Yep. And why is it you're selling it again? Oh, he glanced around the room like he was looking for something. You know, just got stale. Need to get rid of some clutter. Spring cleaning. Mmm, Lawton toned, taking the device into his hands. I do have a weakness for retro gaming, he said. Yeah, man, they designed it to appeal to that for sure. And I've never seen a thing like this before. It's interesting. Absolutely. A great collector's item. Hmm, Lawton said again. He knew he had a fiver left over in his pocket from breaking five dollars worth of quarters out of a ten for laundry. Here was something he hadn't known existed three minutes ago, and now he wanted it, perhaps even more so for the curiosity of its novelty to him. It had to be somewhat rare, and he did like old consoles. While Lawton deliberated, Steve continued to search over the room nervously, making Lawton wonder if he was worried about him catching a glimpse of drug paraphernalia or masturbatory rags discarded about the room. Okay, man, Lawton said. You got me. I'll take it. He pulled the five out of his pocket, and Steve accepted it quickly, passing him the headset. Cool, man, Steve said. Thanks! And Steve practically pushed Lawton out of the room. Afterwards, Lawton took his sweet time changing over his laundry while a load of Rory's sat idle in the next washer. But after twenty minutes of loitering, she did not reappear and Lawton was forced to slowly march back up the stairs to the solitude of his apartment. The chronophagy nested in the laundry in his basket. Lawton made himself do his comic work and finished his laundry before he let himself try the device he'd bought. It was twilight, and a dim yellow light cut in at a low angle through the windows. 
He turned the device over in his hands and found a power switch next to a red LED on the right-hand side. Keeping his finger on it to mark the place, he strapped the thing to his head, and the world went an additional two shades darker through the tinted lenses. He flicked the switch. Below, in the basement apartment, dark and devoid of life, a cat-sized creature paused from gnawing on the mattress and directed an eyeless gaze upward. Lawton wheeled around in the room and saw only the same walls and carpet. Huh, he said. I don't see anything. Is this broken? He took it off. For the next several days, Lawton brainstormed every excuse to run into Rory again, but came up with nothing brilliant. It will simply have to be up to chance, he decided. We live in the same building. It can't be too long before we run into each other again. Still, if only he could summon one good, non-stupid reason to go knock on her door. Lawton was preparing to go out for a walk one evening. He put on his sneakers, put his hand on the door handle, and hesitated briefly before throwing it open. And to his shock, Rory was standing there facing him like a doe in the headlights. Oh, hi, she said quickly. Good, good evening, he stuttered. You, uh... Startled me. He laughed. Were you about to knock or something? Her face had gone quickly red, to a more purple shade than her hair, and which clashed with it. Lawton felt his face getting warm too, and his pulse was sprinting out of control. Oh, yeah, I was just wondering if you'd like a cookie. As, like, you know, a housewarming sort of thing, because, like, I made a pan and I just thought you might like one. What kind of cookie? She had, he now noticed, a plate of cookies she was holding in front of her. Peanut butter cookies, they looked like. Peanut butter, she told him. I'm allergic, he answered. Oh God, don't even look at them, she cried and put her body between him and the plate. I'm really sorry, he said. They look great, but they would literally kill me like four times over with that whole plate. (laughs) Oh, so sorry, she said. It's totally fine, he assured her. Hey, look, I was just about to step outside for some air. Uh, Any chance you'd like to join me? Um, definitely, she said. Oh, great. How about you ditch the death biscuits and meet me on the steps? (laughs) You're funny. That sounds good. When they met on the steps, they sat in the growing dark beneath the light and watched the insects flit around it. How's the comic going? she asked him. Oh, he thought. It's going well, I guess. Tell me about it. Well, is it like your day job now? I'm working on that, yeah. I can't say it's making much money now, but I hope to. I've got to give it a shot, is what I realized, because it's it's what I'm made to do, I think, so I'm giving it a shot. How do you make money from a webcomic? Oh, well, there's Patreon, and there's ads, and there's merchandising. I plan to do all three. I've got the Patreon going now, and I'm working on t-shirts. That's so cool. Can I get a t-shirt? That will be $25. But uh, the shipping will be light because you just live upstairs. (laughs) She laughed and then a moment of silence passed before Lawton asked her. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Still alive? Because I don't know how I even am some days. (laughs) Sigh. I don't know. I guess that's the problem. I've been there. I've drawn my whole life, but it was only the last six months that I realized I had to give 
What I'm doing now is serious go. Before that, I had no idea. I thought maybe a teacher, but then I studied sociology instead, and from there, naturally, I went into landscaping, followed by a store clerk. And I don't know. I can fail at this, of course. There's a good chance of that, honestly. And then I don't know what, but it's worth everything to me to see if I can pull this off. That's what I realized. Because, you know, life is short. That's what they say anyway. Though sometimes it seems maybe too long. But I'm 32 now. I've already wasted too much time. If I had this level of determination and focus and experience when I was 20. But who does? I sure don't. Are you 20? 24. Ah, you'll find it. What do you like? She thought. Cookies, (laughs) she said and laughed. Baker, he suggested. Nah, she answered. Hmm. Goth fashion model? You think I'm goth? A little bit. What makes you think I'm goth? All of the fucking black to start, he told her and laughed. She also laughed. Lol, we're called alternative now, she explained. Did you just pronounce LOL in real life? Maybe. Alternative to what? Normal, I guess. The next morning, at about ten o'clock, Lawton sat hunched over his drafting table, staring out the open window sash and watching the cottonwood trees across the street swaying in the breeze. The seeds, like daylight stars, sailed silver in the updraft into the blue yawn as Lawton failed to think about his beloved work, but instead only wanted to work on his beloved. All his worry in the world was his next move with Rory, and next to this, the comically engorged udders and purple-speckled tentacles of Cthulhu seemed pointlessly silly. With nothing productive happening, or having happened for several hours, Lawton left his stool and wandered into the sunlit living room. In the diagonal morning columns of light, dust settled slowly toward the carpet. On the sofa sat the new headset he had discarded the other night. I just need to stop thinking for a moment, Lawton thought. I need a distraction. Lawton wrapped the coronophagu over his eyes, and the room went dull brown like a pair of old sunglasses. He flipped the switch by his temple. Well, he said, is this going to work? He watched the dust settle in the light, which was now breaking through the windows in piss yellow. He spun around, examining the room for any perceptible change. This is not very good, he said, and laughed to himself. He emulated his best movie trailer voice. Enter a world where everything you know is turned slightly brown. And he laughed again. But his laughter was cut short by a scratching at the door, like a dog. Instinctively, he ripped the chronophagu off his face, and the sound stopped. He waited and listened, and then drew closer. He cracked open the creaking door and peered at the floor. There was nothing but the welcome mat the previous tenants had left sitting on the hardwood floor. Lawton closed the door and put the headset back on. Only then it occurred to him that the sound might have been part of the virtual reality, but he dismissed the idea as soon as he had it. The headset had no headphones or speakers. Submerged back in the brownout world, 
Lawton looked around the room once again. There's got to be something here, he thought out loud. The jaundiced clock face read quarter past ten, and Lawton felt the disgrace of a morning wasted. I really need to do a strip, he told himself. But just then something shuffled in the open coat closet. It was too dark to see much, though, through the tinted lenses beside the most vague suggestions of the tops of shoes and the floorboards. But then he noticed there was something larger and paler than any of his shoes there, like a swaddled baby or a gigantic wadded-up sock. As Lawton stepped closer to the closet, he still couldn't make out what it was, but it appeared to be breathing. Drawing cautiously up to the closet door, he lifted up the headset slightly to peer beneath the lenses and, indeed, the creature vanished from its nest of shoes. He let the glasses snap back over his eyes and tried to reach to touch it. That's silly, he muttered. I won't be able to feel something I can only see through the headset. As his hand wavered over the critter, it hissed and rolled over, exposing a pinkish belly, and Lawton recoiled. His heart raced. Oh my god, he whispered. This supposed virtual pet looked like a house cat-sized caterpillar. Lawton had expected the Japanese designers of this thing to have come up with something cuter. Even when Pokemon had a caterpillar in its roster, it was cutesified to the point that you wanted to hug it, or at least give it a good tickle. Perhaps just to prove its immateriality to himself, Lawton proceeded with the experiment of trying to touch it. With no glove as part of the VR system, there was no good reason that his hand should have been stopped by a skin the texture of a sock stuffed with a lukewarm gel pack. He gasped and took his hand away and pulled up the headset again. Indeed, the creature disappeared, and reappeared when he lowered it again. I guess this thing works after all, he muttered. It works too good. Lawton, a little scared to find out what might happen, but now as fatally curious as the proverbial cat, and assured that this was only virtual experience implemented by some arcane Japanese technology, attempted to grab the sockworm and turn it over. He laid hands on its sides. The cloth-like skin slid around easily over the warm, gushy, yet firm interior. The pink of the belly felt more flesh-like than the whiter parts of the flanks and back. Nub legs wiggled at the touch. With the lightning ferocity of a wild animal, the worm wrapped bodily around Lawton's right hand, and he screamed as he felt it bite with a dull crunch of tendons and bones getting ground. Lawton lay on the carpet, on his back. His hand throbbed and he felt headachy. The headset had slipped partway off, enough to feed his eyes only the natural light. The clock, hung high on the wall above his toes, read 10.52. Lawton bolted upright, ripped off the headset, and rubbed his forehead before examining his right hand. It hurt badly for there being no visible wound. A dull ache as from a largely blunt pressure but here and there it felt as if the skin had been broken where it stung with the pain of salty sweat. At least as perplexing was the missing time. He hadn't felt like he'd blacked out, much less slept. It was like a jump cut in a movie. With no change in the audience's consciousness, suddenly he, the audience of this metaphor, was in the future, something like fifteen minutes having elapsed, without any consciousness of it. Compulsively, and despite all reason, he went to the bathroom and washed his hand thoroughly, 
After muttering about how impossible this pain was, he looked into the mirror, into his own eyes, and said aloud, That was the shittiest game ever. Then he looked over his hand again, feeling it with his other, and stated, Fuck. Lawton made himself draw after lunch, and then through the late afternoon and evening he worked social media, and he went to bed feeling that his day had had a high net productivity despite his morning. But Lawton felt uneasy through the night, tossing constantly through short fits of sleep. His right hand throbbed without regard to its much-checked integrity. His head hurt, and he slid in and out of torturous phantasms not unlike fever dreams. When the red strokes of the alarm clock read 4 a.m., Lawton groggily rent his head from the pillow. A lump in the comforter denied identification. He tried to sit up. As he thrashed in the comforter, the lump skipped towards his calf, and he felt the stinging bite of the creature from the chronophagu. Lawton woke up late. The room was bright. He wondered why his calf was sore until he remembered the dream. And then he feared it wasn't a dream. He threw off the covers and pulled up his pajama leg and found nothing wrong. His leg looked fine. He stumbled out from the bedroom, into the glare of the front room windows. He saw that it was already ten o'clock. Then he doubled back to the bathroom, splashed his face, and took a tinkle. He pulled on regular clothes and went to pour a bowl of cereal. As he stood in the kitchen, holding his head as he stared at the fridge, he had a clear line of sight across the apartment to the front door. Something caught his eye, the light changing in the crack beneath it. The shadows resolved into the suggestion of two feet separated by daylight. He closed the fridge and listened. After nearly thirty seconds of hesitation by his door, the feet turned and undertook their way back up the creaking stairs. Rory, Lawton mumbled and he rushed toward the door. I'll pretend I didn't know she was there and I'm just stepping outside, he thought, as he approached the door. With this in mind, Lawton deliberately looked the opposite direction, out the front of the apartment building, first when he opened his door. And only then did he look up the stairs and find Rory looking down at him from the landing. Oh, hi, Rory, he said. Hi, Lawton, she said back, and took a step down toward him. I was just stepping out, he said and he inwardly cringed at himself. Oh, she said, hesitant. Without your shoes on? Oh, I was just going out the front for some sun and air. He thumbed at the door. I like my bare feet on the ground sometimes. How have you been? Good, she said, nodding. I'm well. How about you? She took another step down the stairs. How, uh, how was your weekend? Lawton couldn't figure out why she sounded so cautious, or why she was asking about his weekend. Oh, well, that was a while ago now, but it was nothing special. Did you go somewhere? Huh? No. I was just here, Lawton said, smiling naively and pointing his thumb back into his open door. Now Rory said, Oh, with a definite tone of disappointment, and Lawton was genuinely confused. Well, he said, there's a brand new weekend coming tomorrow, so... What do you mean? Rory said. It's Friday, isn't it? Rory stared. Monday. Lawton laughed. Nah, yesterday was Thursday. Probably easy to lose track when you're living the good old in-between-jobs life, though, right? 
Rory crossed her arms. Lawton winced. Uh, at least that, is, that, that was how it was for me. <laughs> he forced a laugh. Rory looked at her phone and then leveled her eyes at him. It's Monday. I'll see you around. Had Rory kept her eyes on him another moment, she would have seen the certainty in Lawton's face convert to confusion and then given another heartbeat. The confusion degraded to terror. Her ankles disappeared around the turn in the stairs and Lawton shut his door and rushed to his phone. As he took it off the charger, the screen lit up and... It was Monday. Somehow he was three days off from the rest of the world. His mind tossed back and forth, unsure which was worse. That he could not explain this fact other than by postulating that he had actually slept for three days straight. Or that he had just turned Rory away by refusing to believe her and chalking it up to her error. Then, as he stared at the cracking paint of his old apartment's wall, he remembered the much shorter blackout he'd had the previous day. No, four days ago now. When he had the Coronafeju headset on. Lawton ran to the futon and picked up the headset. Placing it on his head and flipping the switch, he gazed at his hand and saw the horrible gash in the bruising where the thing had bitten him, purple and swollen and streaked with blood. Oh no, he muttered. And he turned his attention to his calf, where he found deep black teeth marks from which blood, now dried to a dull purple, had run in streams. He was shaking. He limped to the back end. On the way to the bathroom, he noticed that his bed, still thrown open to reveal the bedsheets, was absolutely painted with blackening blood. No, 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 he muttered, and he turned into the bathroom. Trembling, he ran the water and washed out the wounds on his hand and calf. This can't be real. This can't be real, he whined quietly, flushing the soap out from his stinging gashes. The thing bit me, he thought, when I wasn't even wearing the headset. It's here even when the thing's off. The headset just allows me to see it. Uh, what it's done to me. Okay, he said, emerging into the bedroom. I've got to do two things. He took a golf club out from his closet. I've got to get rid of the coronafeju thing. And I've got to do damage control with Rory. He searched over the room through the headset and saw nothing awry. He used the club to pull the covers the rest of the way off the bed and also found nothing except more smeared, dried blood. Lawton wound his way back out to the living room, now cast in dismal brown, examining the floor and the corners and the shelves of the bookcase. He knocked the pillows off the futon with his club. This is absolutely nuts. I lose time when the monster bites me. It's, it's a, it's a time eater. He stopped and stared through the wall in front of him. Coronophage you. Chronophage. Time Eater. Lawton drew slowly up to the closet where he had first seen it. It was not among the shoes, but it was too dark to see all the way back. He reached in and pulled the chain on the light, which cast the walls in thick yellow. Nothing. The creature was not on the floor, and his pulse, which had peaked, began to ease up on the throttle. But then something subtler caught his eye. A wisp of spider's web dangling from behind one of his jackets. He pulled the heavy winter jacket aside with the golf club, and all his arm hairs stood up. Behind his coats, something was stuck to the wall, from which that web-like tail dangled. It was like a cocoon, fleshy and fibrous. 
Breathing in short, shallow breaths, Lawton touched it with the club, testing it. Nothing happened. Should I just beat the shit out of it, he wondered. I don't know if I'm ready to see what comes out of it. But fuck, this is the chance. Careful not to disturb the cocoon, Lawton took his coats off of the hangers and piled them on the floor, getting them out of the way for his inevitable assault on the hibernating creature. He affirmed to himself that it had to be done. Therefore, there was no room for his fear. He simply had to raise the club and become the instrument of its destruction. Hesitation only increased the odds of missing the opportunity, and fear only made what must be done miserable. He could give no space to fear. He readied the club. He would begin by jabbing the club directly into it as hard as he could. If that didn't appear to kill it, then he would try to knock it to the floor and beat it until it died. With this plan conceived, there was no excuse for stalling. Still, Lawton found it difficult. He held the club level, prepared the thrust. Okay, he thought. I'm going to count to ten. That's it. No more, no less. I'm going to give myself ten seconds, and then I'm going to do it. Ten. He breathed shallowly through his nose. Nine. His eyes darted up and down the perfectly still cocoon. Eight. His mouth fell open, and then... Thinking of what might spray out when he squished the creature, he closed it again. Fuck it. It's not moving. I'm doing it. Lawton braced the handle against his shoulders and thrust with all his strength and weight. The cocoon burst and something poured out thrashing and fully alive that reminded him of those wind-up chattering teeth toys they used to make, giant articulating human teeth, and a glimpse of pudgy baby arms. And it thumped onto the floor and ran toward him, about the size of a toddler now, bigger than the cocoon itself had been, somehow. He fumbled with the club, trying to strike it as it ran into him, knocking its big white teeth against his kneecap, those rubbery little kitty arms flailing. Lawton kicked and stumbled backwards, away from the thing, which ran out into the apartment way faster than he would have liked to see the thing able to move. It vanished quickly into the apartment, but what he saw could be described as this, an off-white, bulgy sock puppet body, no eyes, an oversized human mouth, arms and legs like a baby doll held in the stance and the rough proportions of a T-Rex. It had vanished into the bedroom. Lawton rounded the corner into the bedroom slowly with the club raised. It was darker in the back of the apartment. Through the tinted lenses, it was more difficult to see into the shadows. He couldn't see the thing with them, and he couldn't see the thing without them. First sign of movement, and he was swinging. He listened as he circled the bedroom. The closet and the bathroom were both suspect. The chronophage did not seem to be in the bedroom. As the club head wobbled in front of Lawton's face, he became aware he was spiraling into shock, and, ridiculously, the most concerning problem for him became his undeniable need to urinate. But he doubled down on his grip on the handle, and he focused himself on the closet. He reached his hand in for the pull chain on the light, while keeping himself as back and ready as possible. The light clinked on, and he immediately saw that the floor was clear as was the shelf. He reached in with the club and batted at the hanging clothes, eliciting nothing. Quickly, he realized it had to be behind him then, and he glanced at the bathroom. Lawton pulled the chain in the bathroom, reaching around the corner from the outside. The room was washed and yellow. Lawton eyed every corner and quickly surveyed everything he could without entering. Lawton drew three quick breaths to psych himself up and stepped inside first turning swiftly to clear the corner of the room to the left of the door, which he had been blind to from outside. 
Then he pivoted toward the shelving, which held nothing but undisturbed towels, and settled his gaze on the shower, across which the shiny blue curtain was completely drawn. This is like reverse psycho, Lawton found himself thinking. The monster's in the shower and I'm about to bludgeon the fuck out of it. Affording no room for hesitation, he ripped aside the curtain with a club, sending several of the curtain hooks flying around the room and revealing a tub completely empty. Terror seized Lawton. Somewhere he had made a mistake. It could be anywhere now, if not here, in what he thought was the last place to look. The sound of movement registered in his ears only as the weight came down on him from above, and Lawton screamed as dull, oversized teeth dug into his shoulder and collar. When is it now? Lawton thought, sick to his stomach. He was crumpled on the bathroom tiles. He bolted upright and scrambled to get onto his feet. Everything hurt now, basically, radiating from his shoulder and his hand and his calf. Looking down at himself through the lenses, he saw that his clothes were completely caked in blood. Lawton ran into the living room. Thank God, still daylight, he thought. And he took up his phone. The battery was dead. That was not a good sign. Instead, he hurried over to his desk and opened the laptop. He waited for it to wake up, surveying his apartment, as the loading wheel spun. The desktop came up and he saw that it was Tuesday at 11.15 a.m. Fantastic, he thought. Only a day this time. I can deal with that. He clicked on the clock to bring up the calendar. Fuck, he swore. It was Tuesday four weeks later. Jesus Christ, he spat. Jesus fucking Christ. And he paced the living room with his club. I just need to get out of here. This is going to keep happening as long as I keep failing to kill it. What happens if I leave? Does it stay with the headset? What happens if I get rid of the headset? No, it bit me that once while I wasn't even wearing it. I need the headset to be able to see it. He groaned. I've got to kill it. That's the surest idea I've got. Then I'll know I'm free. Fuck, he thought. He went to the kitchen and got out his largest knife. With this in the club, he began limping through the house with desperate determination. In the bedroom, the chronophage tackled him, and he drove the knife at the chronophage as he stumbled. And as he fell, the headset flew from his head. Time must have vanished again, because the chronophage was gone in an instant. Indeed, there was a fresh bite on his side. Lawton rolled over quickly, aware that the device was necessary to his defense against this creature, and had left his head. It was broken on the floor. The old, brittle gray plastic had shattered in several places. No, Lawton pleaded. No, 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 no. He picked up the pieces and found that the lenses were simply a pair of dated drugstore sunglasses, which had been encased in a blocky plastic container. The only electronics were a battery wired to a switch and an LED to create the appearance of a power button and indicator light. Lawton fumbled with the sunglasses and put them on. The chronophage stood idle in the corner of the room. Lawton crawled backwards away from it, but it did not move but only stood straight up with that eyeless, worm head pointed vaguely in his direction. Lawton reached for the knife. Remembering the battle before the last bite, he looked for a wound on the chronophage and did not see one. His heart fell. But he was sure the knife had connected. Wait. Indeed, there was a milky white scar on the thing's side. Enough time had passed for it to fully heal. Lawton rushed the chronophage. The thing thrashed with animal intensity and fled before Lawton could wound it. He took the club and gave chase. It had gone into hiding. 
but there was a paper on the living room floor, which appeared to have come in under the door. Lawton unfolded it and read. He was being evicted. The letter was dated three months into what should have been the future. Lawton threw it aside and searched for the chronophage. He met the creature in the kitchen. Man and monster held a staring contest, blue eyes against the eyeless. Lawton raised the club. It shook terribly in the air. No time left for you, he choked out, and he charged. Pair of vintage sunglasses, he said, not making eye contact. One dollar. He held up the pair, and the couple hardly looked. It was winter, in some year or other, and he sat beside the gas station. They never looked. He couldn't give away the glasses to save his life, literally. He thought that making them one dollar might give them some sense of value, but it still wasn't working. Lawton understood now why the things had been disguised as a video game console. The value perception. Otherwise, no one could ever get rid of the thing. When the woman stopped, Lawton brought himself to raise his eyes. He recognized the red hair and the narrow, pale face. Rory looked down at him in wonder, in clear disbelief that this could be the same man she once met. Though her mouth hung open, no word escaped. And the man who was with her tugged her hand. Lawton quickly retracted the glasses and tucked them into his pocket. The man tugged again and said something, and they left, oblivious, of course, to the white mass hulking by the dumpster, snorting the air like a bull, shaped like a bison, grinning with palm-sized human teeth. be so frustrating and humiliating to be a couple of insignificant, hairless African apes with funny-shaped heads. It must be so embarrassing to be an adorable teacup, Piggy. I may appear to inhabit the body of an adorable teacup, Piggy, but I identify as the Chaos Bringer. Sometimes I almost, almost lower myself to feeling sadness for the sake of you, too. I mean, a couple of nobody struggling writers, unknown and uncared about beyond your immediate families and a handful of friends, and confined to those doofy human physical forms. Oh, sorry. I forgot some of you don't have family or friends. Boy, yeah. 
I'd just roll over and die if I were... You punted him to the next block. We'll see how he feels about being a half pound of designer pet now. Hmm. You know, I think I'm better now. Want a beer? Monster Porn Podcast is a production of Warped Box Media. Today's story was The Time Eater by Brett Norwood. Brett also did the music. The bald one I hate. You're supposed to say the bald one that I hate. Good day, Monsterbaters. Brett here. If you enjoyed this episode of Monster Porn, first, you should be ashamed of yourself. And second, please rate and review us on your preferred podcast app. It only takes a minute and helps us out a whole lot. We're still open for bonus episode submissions. It was a huge pleasure to work with Amberly Griffin and Byron McBride in our first guest episode. And we're excited to do it again and see what weird work you might have for us. They did an amazing job. Give it a listen if you haven't already. And be sure to check out the uncanny and ineffable Monster Porn t-shirt designed by artist Nick Calavera at teespring.com slash stores slash monster porn. Wear your love of monster porn with pride. Or the least amount of shame possible, anyway. Thanks to everyone who has reviewed us. Your glowing reviews fill our withered hearts with something resembling human emotions. And thank you to everyone who supports us and reaches out to us on social media. It's always great to meet you. Don't be afraid to say hello. Thanks to the memes, Eric. May there be fewer tree-related acts of aggression in your life, Bethany. Amberly, how's that death cult coming? Joseph, I hope that you unwrapped your Christmas presents and they didn't unwrap you. That's it. Until next time, Monsterbaters. Stay weird, and until the shark angels come, Godspeed, strange cowboy. I mean, you can't change what you're given to work with, only your attitude. And if you look at things more positively... Yeah. <laughs> That's how positive I was about it. If you look at things more positively. More positively. Yeah. You'll be more so, positive in return. <laughs> <laughs> Self help by monster porn. <laughs> oh, bother. <laughs> you can't change what you're given to work with, only your attitude. And if you look at things with more positivity. God damn it. On the other hand, while kicking himself for not trying to draw out the conversation on the other. I already said on the other hand. A catawampus stank of books. Stank of books. He waited for it to wake up, surveying his apartment as the loading wheel spung. Spung. Coming soon to a bookseller near you. From Dr. Brett and the Reverend Dr. Ophthalmologist Matt Cummins, the authors of the best-selling 12 Rules for Your Wife. 
A new game-changing perspective for life in the official Monster Porn self-help book, Living Life More Turgidly. Pre-order now.